maybe if the buyer is implementing a kind of a, a negative keyword strategy where they just exclude content which has certain keywords you know we as you mentioned earlier there's nuance to how keywords are applied welcome to the contextual advertising 101 podcast if you're an advertising or marketing leader who has heard about contextual advertising but wants to learn more then this show is for you Throughout this podcast series, we will bring you a deep dive into some of the core concepts of contextual advertising, as well as interviews from marketing executives and publishers using contextual advertising today. This episode is brought to you by SeedTag, the world's leading contextual advertising company. Contextual intelligence allows you to engage with consumers within their universe of interest on a cookie-free basis. By delivering ads into content, we capture users' attention faster and retain it longer. Learn more and reach out to us at seedtag.com. So welcome to the latest episode of Contextual 101, which is brought by me, Amelia Kag, Global Head of Growth at SeedTag. Uh, in this episode, we'll be talking about uh, the topics of brand safety and brand suitability. And we have a guest uh, today on our podcast who is Wayne Bloodwell. So Wayne and I have been uh, friends for many years now, known, known each other a long time in the UK media industry. But um, yes, very happy and excited to have you here, Wayne. So thank you for joining joining us. No, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah, and you guys, you obviously have your own podcast as well, so you are an expert <laughs> now in <laughs> filming these things. Um, so let's kick off on the on the topic of brand safety and brand suitability. You know, it's, it's something that we're all well aware of now in our industry. Uh, but before we, we launch onto that, can you tell us a little bit about your role, what you do, and um, yeah, the background to how you got here? Yeah, sure. So uh, I'm the founder and CEO of the Programmatic Advisory. We're a strategic consultancy firm and we work with major advertisers to further what they do in programmatic. Uh, we started n- five years next month ago, which has sort of flown by. Um, we started out in the UK and then in 2019 we acquired a consultancy in the US and then I moved over last year to, to grow that. Um, and we work with advertisers in, in four areas, like four specialisms, uh, data, tech, um, operations, and uh, operations, our supply. This is a new one we just added. Um, so we help brands across those four pillars of programmatic. Um, and we advise in brand safety and brand suitability within supply particularly. Um, so yeah, excited to talk about our topic because my background was always hands-on trader, DSPs and platforms um, and have been at the coal face of brand safety issues. Um, so yeah, good to talk about today. Yes, no, I knew that you'd be an expert in this topic as well. I was glad to have you as my guest. Okay, um, so let's get to it. So first of all, how would you define brand safety and how would you define brand suitability? It's interesting because brand safety was the kind of initial words for how you keep your brand logos from not targeting invalid traffic or fraud or appearing against poor content. Um, And it kind of was as simple as that in in theory. Um, And then brand suitability is a bit more of a recent, in the last couple of years, where it's less about just not poor content, not invalid traffic. It's also trying to find 
proactively locations that you want your brand to appear and where you think it's more suitable and where you want to invest. And in both cases, there, there, there is a spectrum. You've obviously got parts of the internet which is exceptionally poor content and no one would argue with that and you never want your ads to appear against. And you've got parts of the internet which is of exceptionally high quality content which you're more than happy to have your ads appear against. There's this big chunk in the middle where there's gray areas like is it negative content about a football player or is it talking about like a major travel accident or you know there's a, there's a lot there's a tone of voice there's topics sometimes you don't want your ad to appear on a page with a competitive advertiser or you know a page with 10 ads on it so there's a there's a big spectrum and i think suitability really is working out where on that spectrum do you want to land and where do you you know as an advertiser or as a buyer where do you want your dollars to go whereas brand safety is let's just avoid non-human traffic and like the really bad parts of the internet mm, yeah uh, something just came to my mind actually like where did where did brand suitability derive from like you know as you say it's it's a recent um terminology and it's only been around the last couple of years. Like, in your opinion, what, what was the, what gave birth to the idea of brand suitability? Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly, but maybe um, a couple of years ago, there was the Global Alliance for Responsible Media, which was born out of the WFA, the World Federation of Advertisers, all the acronyms there. Um, and that's the WFA represents a lot of major advertisers worldwide. So P&G, Unilever's, Coca-Cola, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think just collectively they started to think about, you know, as big advertisers who spend a lot of money, where's that money actually going? Like how are we funding um, journalism, content creation? You know, what's the approach to social media and, and Facebook and YouTube, et cetera. And I think, when these advertisers started to think about that in particular, that's where you start to realise that it is actually quite nuanced, and and it's also really important because they spend you know a truckload of money, and it it a it should work for their brand and and their KPIs and goals, but b it should be going to the right places, which make the internet you know a, a very positive experience for consumers. So. I, I mean, I'm sort of guessing, but I think that's where it came from. And then since then, we've seen uh, buyers, so the, the agencies and managed services and tech and all the layers in between, um, plus advertisers sort of lean into what is suitable for you know our brands and how we want to invest our budgets. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think the most obvious examples really is now it's COVID, right so are we are we supposed to exclude every single page that references COVID? we can't because it's so prevalent in in the editorial that we read online nowadays and if you're a travel brand for instance you know it's actually really important to appear against content related to COVID to reinforce your principle that you are you know a safe a safe brand um i'm sure when eurostar and other airlines truly 
truly are up and running they're going to have to put out a lot of messaging about how they are hygienic you know they, they're able to transport their their guests and their passengers safely and so forth but you need to be appearing within the right areas and therefore you can't be excluding these topics now yeah entirely and you just need to take a more tailored approach to the media you're buying as opposed to really blanket based like default technology potentially or like exclusion lists you it's just there's just like you know excluding one website at the main level in in its entirety um might not be the best approach because that might be a newspaper and it, a, a, an online publication which you know represents news and actually they write about really varied topics and and similar with keywords like we know that you know certain keywords can be applied in all sorts of different contexts, positively and negatively. So, um, yeah, taking a more tailored approach is it, it, really, really important. Um, otherwise, uh, one, your ads might not reach the right people, uh, and two, you're just cutting off, you know, funding really important things. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I mean, you touched on it in terms of what you just said, but how how would you advise your current clients on approaching? Um, brand suitability or taking a brand suitability uh, approach yeah and you know this is my classic consultant answer because <laughs> it's always a, it depends because I don't think there's one way you should approach brand suitability for every advertiser in every market across the world because their approach to buy media is unique based on their KPIs or, or formats or channels um, and two, you know, what might be suitable for them as a business uh, and their goals is very different from one to another. So you know, we'll always, when we talk to clients about uh, brand safety and suitability, it's always, you know, let's talk about what do you want to do as a brand, what's important to you, what are you trying to achieve out of media, um, what about your wider business goals around, like, you know, um, the importance of, like, what you're doing socially, um, like corporate social responsibility and also though but, but really keen to say like there isn't a foolproof way so there isn't like this you know a a 100% method which means you'll never appear against something which might be or a little bit of fraud or one or two misplacements because the internet is so vast and there's so much content that's being created all the time um so we always try to just work work with clients to, to work out what's their exact approach and and you know and then help hopefully help them implement it alongside their agencies in a lot of cases. Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Absolutely, it's not going to be a one size fits all approach. What are the negatives or positives of a brand employing a brand suitability approach? The positives are you know where your dollars are going. Um, you become comfortable in your approach. So if there was some bad press or somebody senior in the business was to question how you're investing, you've, you know, you've, you have an approach. Whereas, you know, I'd say like three to five years ago, well, even now to be honest, many brands don't have a documented approach to suitability. Um, it's heavily outsourced. I remember about four or five years, no more than that, six years ago when I was at an agency, we were called out in a, a major newspaper in the UK for one of our clients logos appearing on some poor content and 
the client, we were using a third-party verification tool at the time, and we had a very strict approach to the exchanges we bought from, and we had this uh, an inclusion list, but it still slipped through the net. But the brand managers at that time didn't really have a, a great way of answering the questions when the CEO starts asking, why is our logo in page 24 of the sun, where um, showing that we've been appearing against poor content? Um, so I, I think a, a positive would be, if you have an approach, it's documented, um, you know where it might fall through the gaps and, and, and what you're doing. I think the negatives, and there, to be honest, there aren't really many, but there's probably only one, is the stricter you make your suitability approach, the less media you buy. Um, and that means it can be difficult to optimise. Um, this is in theory. So say you've got like, you know, a, a thousand impressions and you decide there's only 10 you want to buy. Well, that means your campaign is going to have to bid higher or work harder on those 10 impressions to achieve your KPIs. I say in theory because of that 1,000, there's going to be a ton of stuff you don't want to buy anyway, which isn't viewable or is against negative content and stuff. But generally, if you start to, you know, reduce supply you have to op your optimization sort of capability gets a little bit stretched that's the only downside i mean that's literally the only downside i can think about to, to having a, a strict suitability approach there's a bit of a trade-off um but in general the positives just far outweigh um by having more comfort and control over how you're investing uh, than the negatives i think mm. yeah absolutely i mean that's always the balance i think we're facing um marketers wanting to achieve their KPIs. So in video, it could be like 100% viewability and 80% view through rate and X percent reach on target. You know, it's just, and then it's the white list and it's the exclusion list. It's like, okay, you know, at some point something's got to give and we have to trust that, um, you know, the delivery, the publishers you're working with, the vendors you're working with, the technology is going to be robust enough to support your objectives and your goals. So, yeah, I think that is a good example. Flipping the coin, what is the effect of using a brand suitability approach uh, for publishers? Yeah, I mean, sometimes I have sympathy for publishers <laughs> because um, when there are blanket approaches implemented, they can, you know, where there's no nuance, they can fall a bit unfairly and they don't get any demand and revenue going through. Um, but at the same time, I do really think it's the prerogative of the buyer to decide what they want to buy and how they want to buy. Um, so when publishers do complain, I understand because it's lost revenue. Um, but on the flip side, I do think it's down to the buyer. If a buyer is using like a, an inclusion list approach and that publisher isn't on that inclusion list, they don't see any revenue. Maybe if the buyer is implementing a kind of a, a negative keyword strategy where they just exclude content which has certain keywords, you know, we as you mentioned earlier, there's nuance to how keywords are applied. Um, and sometimes if a buyer is using a third-party verification tool, um, those tools will have different approaches to what they deem as appropriate or not appropriate. So the publisher really, there's multiple ways where basically demand doesn't reach them and they don't make revenue from that demand because it's basically being blocked or or even like before, you know, no bid at all. Um, so that's how I think publishers get impacted. And yeah, as I said, some sympathy, um, where particularly where these are these blanket approaches being applied. 
but at the same time it's you know part of the publisher's role i think is to educate the buyers into you know how maybe better to approach brand safety and suitability with them um so really but yeah but really it's on the buyer to to make better decisions over what they buy yeah no i think you're right there and this is going to be a tough question by the way so i do i do <laughs> warn you so it's going to be a a hard yes or no perhaps black or black and white response but in your opinion is one better than the other yeah it's a good question i don't think it's about one or the other per se um i think it's you know about being as a if if, no if i was a brand i wouldn't go i need a brand safety approach and a brand suitability approach i just need an approach to how i buy media um, and what sits comfortably with me so I think for brands and advertisers, because it is their logos, it is their responsibility, I think, to know where they're being placed and where their money goes. It's working with their agency to really understand how they're buying media um, and just being very proactive into understanding that because they need to know yeah, where budgets and logos appear. So I don't think it's about one being better than another. I think it's just taking a very holistic approach to how should you buy media and how do you apply you know, the different things in brand safety and the different things in brand suitability? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you understand you know, from your agency days now and in your consultancy business that each client will always employ a different approach. It's not a case of one is better than the other. Um, and you just touched on it just now, actually, but who do you think is responsible for ensuring that a brand safety or brand suitability approach is in place? Like, is it the marketer? Is it the brand? Is it the agency, the publisher? Is it a combination of the three? A couple of years ago, I said it was the marketer. Um, there was this big uh, front page of the Times in the UK around brands who've been funding terrorist content on YouTube inadvertently. And I said that the marketer should take more control over where the logos appear. And then Mark Ritson, you know, a well-recognized marketing professor, wrote an article and called me an idiot within it because he thought the approach should be on the agencies. Um, it's entirely down to them. That's what the brands pay them to do. Um, thankfully, uh, Keith Weed, who was then the CMO at Unilever, he came out like three weeks later saying it's on their, them and their brands to better know where their bu- budgets are going. Um, so, so I, I really think it's the marketer. Like I really wholeheartedly believe that if you are in marketing, you should be very aware of where your uh, budgets are going, where your logos are going. Um, I don't think you should outsource that to an agency. However, in practice, the agency are the ones implementing it. So the agency should be working with the brand to better understand you know, uh, how to do it. And then you know the agency should be the ones who hold the relationship you know, more proactively with publishers and ad exchanges and DSPs and you know, partners, et cetera, et cetera. But really, I think the the marketer, you know, they have a lot on. It's always what the feedback is. The marketer's so busy all the time. Um, but I do think one of their core responsibilities should be to better understand where their budgets go. And I definitely would say in the last couple of years, um, we have seen them lean in to that, um, definitely. I still think there's... A, bit of a way to go for some of them um, but I definitely think it's primarily on the marketer but working in conjunction with their agency and their partners. Mm. Yeah that was actually going to be one of my questions you know based on your background and experience both agency side and now how much are they aware about where the dollars are running where the pounds are running and and 
are they actually that clued up about the brand safety and brand suitability approaches and measures that they should be should and can be taking? What you're saying, it doesn't sound like <laughs> that's a strength and it's going in it is going in that direction. It should be that direction. It's probably fifty fifty, in all honesty, where fifty percent have a very good understanding of where their budgets and uh, ads are going and 50% who might know to some extent but probably are like wow that's my role of my agency yeah there isn't really any hard or fast rule as to who's in the 50% either side it's just probably those who have been stung before are probably in the ones who now know have taken a proactive approach who've been you know in newspapers and called out on twitter etc but there's definitely a lot of brands who yeah, really do outsource it, don't think it's their responsibility and would rely on the agency. I don't know why those things, were, a lot of it's down between the relationship between the brand and their partners versus what they do. But yeah, as I say, I think that 50% who currently lean in and have some control over it should be getting more towards like 100% eventually. Um, I think it's really important that they, they know that. Considering that you, you launched your business first in the UK and now you're based in the US, are you seeing there being many differences in approaches in the two markets? And if so, what are those? There are. Um, and I think it's, well, basically the UK is more conservative, which I don't think would be too surprising based on if you know people from the UK and from the US. Um, and generally, like, industry-wide surveys show that there's you have less risk of misplacement and fraud in the UK uh, when you're buying as opposed to uh, in the US and other markets. Um, and that's in particular to programmatic in mobile and desktop video. Um, I think it's a, I think there's two reasons why the UK is a bit more conservative. One, culture. We've had some really well-recognised and known newspapers like call-out brands. And when that happens, you know that no one wants that to happen again. Um, and then two, the scale of buying in the US is so much bigger. I mean, they're just clearly more people, more ad impressions. Um, and I think managing a a, um, a, a suitability approach manually um, is just more challenging because of, the, because of the scale. So for example, if you wanted to build a inclusion list in the UK, probably not amazingly difficult to do. Um, if you wanted to build one in the US, it's much harder because there's just more more content, more pages, more people. Um, so yeah, there definitely is. And to, to, you know, so the US is by no means like laissez-faire and like just you know just ignoring it. But the UK, I think, just through the culture, through the call-outs of newspapers, through the reduced scale, take a more proactive approach to brand suitability and safety um, compared to the US. So interesting, isn't it? When you when you work in one market, then you evolve to another, and you see the different approaches to media, um, to digital buying, planning, execution, so forth. But um, yeah. yeah, you could do you could literally do a whole podcast on that because it, it I found it so fascinating coming from the UK to the US and like pros and cons everywhere. But when you start to compare, it is interesting just generally how brands approach media here in the US. It's different to how they approach it in the UK. And yeah, as I say, I think the suitability is just more stringent in the UK for sure. And based on what you're doing and what you're seeing in terms of the um, client conversations that you're having, the types of people that you're speaking to, are there any smart approaches or technology that are being employed that are leading the way forward 
um, at the moment in the industry. Yeah, of all the tech vendors, there's all some different methodologies. So I wouldn't say necessarily, you know, one, two, three, however many necessarily leading the way, I think, but they're all a bit different. And I think it's important that if you do use these technology partners, you understand how their approach to it, basically. Like all the things we've spoken around, around like, you know, um, the semantics within language, how they block at different levels, how they categorize content, et cetera, et cetera. Just understand it and then make your own decisions. But I think what is important is third-party accreditation. And it's kind of three different ones or methods which we've sort of seen. So one I mentioned earlier was the Global Alliance for Responsible Media. Um, And that basically sets out a charter that advertisers subscribe to and they work with large publishers and um, and partners to try to implement that charter. So for example, they work with Facebook and Facebook took down 22 million pieces of content which contained hate, hate speech last year in Q3. And then that went up to 27 million pieces of hate speech in Q4. And so GARM worked closely with the likes of Facebook to make sure that they're proactively, you know, working with partners. You also have the IAB gold standards, um, and that's more for suppliers. So suppliers can follow the kind of the, the accreditation process um, to show that they are, you know, doing all the right things when it comes to how they sell ads or represent ads. Um, and you have you know, brands like Asda, Tesco, Coca-Cola, who would only, who try to prioritize suppliers who use the IAB gold standard. So that's a really good initiative. And then um, MRC, the Media Ratings Council, um, they run a reasonably, I say reasonably, a, a thorough accreditation process. Um, I don't actually know how thorough, but there is an accreditation process. And you and YouTube became MRC accredited in February this year, um, and so you know that means that when you have these accreditations in place, um, there's just a bit more confidence in what you're what you're buying. So I think that's the the smart approaches are just good accreditation standards from industry bodies to validate, and then you know from, from the technology layers there's lots of good stuff going on and lots of interesting and smart ways that tech is recognizing good and bad and positive and negative content um but leaning into it um to understand how they're doing that i think that's that's what's important and then you know put the responsibility on yourself as a buyer as a seller to you know know what's going on and it's something that you that you touched on briefly which was the use of semantics and um, it was something that I wanted to bring up because obviously you know that we at CTAG are a contextual solution. Do you do you agree or do you see contextual as a solution that adequately supports brand suitability you know, through the use of understanding the, the nuances of the page, the context, the sentiment and so forth? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And that's not just because I'm on the CTAG podcast, but just like generally when we uh, talk to advertisers, um, you know, if, if they're going to put their ads against content and the content's like really negative or it's like maybe overly controversial or maybe it's politically leaning one way over another or whatever it might be, you have to, knowing the nuance of that page 
and the language on it. Um, it's really important for how your brand is then going to be, you know, thought about when someone looks at your ad. And I do think sometimes we lose that sense a bit in digital, like in print and TV, that's well known. You put your ads against certain publications and, and magazines and certain TV content because it, you know there's affiliation between how people are feeling when they're reading and viewing it. In digital, we just kind of forgot that and people just sort of thought, well, it's just an ad impression. But actually, the mindsets the user might be in when they're reading that content and then when they see your ad, you know, that will have some sort of, you know, recall effect. So, yeah, I think using tools to, to manage all that nuance around language across publishers is impossible to do manually. Um, so having tools and partners who can help you with that, um, I think is super important. Yeah, well, you're preaching to convert it on my side, so <laughs> <laughs> nothing else needs to be said there. Okay, moving on to my my last and final question. Do you have any final um, predictions or um, pearls of wisdom for what's next? It is important, I think, that brands lean into where the money goes because ultimately, like, as an advertiser, you advertise to generate some sort of business effect, whether that's a brand recall, online sales, you know, the 100,000 metrics there might be or whatever. Um, but advertising in general can be used as a force for good. And, you know, there's $650 billion globally in ads, half that's in digital. That's a ton of money and that money should be making its way towards good actors, good publishers, good partners. Um, and you can only, that only really happens when brands lean in and understand and understand that i think just waiting for one approach to how all ads are bought online is just never going to happen there's too much nuance um so i really think that the the really the, the my prediction would be brands from that 50 50 split of who cares and who doesn't it increases and in how many brands care increases in how many brands lean into um how they approach safety and suitability and i think that's that's only a good thing for you know the future of the ad funds internet wise words indeed well i could listen to you all day thanks Mills. <laughs> <laughs> okay well i think that's all we have time for but i just wanted to say thank you so much for appearing on this podcast i think it's definitely more a lot of topics that we could be discussing so i hope you found that particularly interesting and feel free to vote for us thank you Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of Contextual Advertising 101. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. To see all the show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, head over to seedtag.com slash 101. This episode is brought to you by Seedtag, the world's leading contextual advertising company. Contextual intelligence allows you to engage with consumers within their universe of interest on a cookie-free basis. By delivering ads into content, we capture users' attention faster and retain it longer. Learn more and reach out to us at seedtag.com.